So you're turning to Obadiah, the Old Testament book of Obadiah, and we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 16 today. Last last Sunday, um, we started a new short series in the Old Testament book of Obadiah. It's only 21 verses long, the shortest book in the Old Testament. Now, as we prepare to study verses 10 uh, through 16, this thought occurred to me, I guess uh, to be maybe a little more correct, as I was preparing to preach the sermon today, this thought occurred to me. We love it when we perceive that others get what they deserve, right? I mean, when, when someone gets what they deserve, we like that. We love that. We rejoice in that. We feel that man all is right with the universe. Things are working out as they should. But if we're honest about that, we love to judge others. And when we watch a movie or read books about terrorists or criminals or bullies, we cheer when they get blown up, arrested, when they just lose or simply get a punch in the nose. We're like, yes. But if we're honest about that, We love to judge other people. And when someone gets away with a crime or gets away with a lie or they cut in line in front of us or simply in some way circumvent the rules, we get angry when they get away with it, when they don't get caught. We're mad. We might lose sleep. We will fume. We might snap at somebody else. Because somebody cut in line in front of us at the movie theater and got the last ticket to Zero Dark Thirty. I got a ticket. Um, But I didn't cut in line. Or did I? No. Um, But here's the reality. If we're honest about this, we love to judge others. The reality is that as human beings, by nature, we love to judge others other people. Even the book of Obadiah, in a way, exposes our love of judging others. Because we here, here's what we do. God pronounces his judgment upon Edom, and we're like, yeah, yeah, they deserve it. Edom is worthy of God's judgment because of what they did. And, and, and we feel kind of smug and vindicated in knowing that they got it, right? I mean, historically, we know Edom got the judgment that God pronounced upon them. And we feel smug about that. We, we, we feel maybe kind of self-righteous about that. Like, yeah, they got what they deserve. No, the point of this pronouncement of God's judgment in Obadiah, it is not to fuel our feelings of self-righteousness or, or our vindication. No, they're a warning to us that this judgment, this pronouncement of judgment upon Edom is a warning for you and I. It's not to fuel our self-righteousness. It's not to invite us to join in on the judging. Like we're going to have this big judgment party and you're like, and it's like, yeah, let's all just heap this on Edom. Because we're so much better and so undeserving 
of judgment, and they are so deserving. So even this book of Obadiah exposes that in us. Now, these are a warning to us, and as we study the text this morning, this is what I, I think we'll see. I think we'll see that God alone has the right to judge. Therefore, don't judge, because you're not God. God alone has the right to judge. Therefore, don't judge. So if you have your Bible open to Obadiah, let's begin in verse 10. Is, any, is anyone using the, um, the chair Bibles and can tell me what page it's on because I forgot to look? Okay, so 772. If you'd like to use one of the pew Bibles, I'm sorry, chair Bibles that are provided. Where'd pew come from? Woo! That's old school. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, no school like the old school, right? Yeah, then follow along, page 772. Thank you. Let's read together, or I'll read and you listen. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates, and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow. If you were here last week and you remember, we started this book of Obadiah, and we gave a little historical context, and I think it's good to kind of review that and make sure that is still fresh in our minds, because the context of Obadiah is very important to understanding why this prophecy is given and, and why it's in this place in the scripture and all that. And of course, this is a time after Jerusalem has been conquered by the Babylonians. Now, God had been prophesying, had been pronouncing his judgment upon Judah and Jerusalem for their unfaithfulness through the prophets. And finally, God brings this about by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians conquering Judah and, and laying siege to Jerusalem and, and, and defeating the city, overcoming the city's defenses and carrying off its inhabitants into captivity. And Edom, Edom is... Judah's neighbor to the southeast. That's geographically who they are. And then, of course, we also understand that Edom, in, in, in a family relationship, is brother to Israel. Because Jacob, through whom the line and people of Israel come, is brother to Esau. And Esau is through whom the, the nation of Edom comes. So Israel and Edom, Judah and Edom, are Jacob and Esau, so they are brothers and neighbors. And in the midst of, in the midst of all of what's going on here in 
in Babylon conquering Judah and defeating and, and, and laying siege and defeating the city of Jerusalem, first of all, Edom did nothing. They did not come to their neighbor brother's aid. And then not only that, they began to gloat and boast about what was happening uh, to Jerusalem and to Judah. And then finally, they participated in the attack upon Jerusalem and Judah by catching those who were fleeing and, and, and either handing them over to Babylon or simply selling them as slaves. So that, that's sort of the historical context of what's going on in in this pro, historically in the time of this prophecy of Obadiah against Edom. And in, as we discovered last week, God is declaring coming judgment to Edom for what they have done. In their pride, in their pride, they first of all had the audacity to attack God's people to lay their hand, to, to raise their hand against God's anointed, okay? And then also, in their pride, felt they were immune from, from any retaliation. First of all, they, they saw themselves as immune from any of God's vindication upon them for his people. But also, in their pride, they thought that none could conquer them. None, they were safe in their mountain fortress hideaway. And God made it very clear that that was not the case. And in fact, we know, as I stated earlier, historically we know that Babylon later conquered Edom. And all that God prophesied and, and, and warned came true. And in fact, God's pronouncement of judgment upon Edom is that he will destroy everything. And in fact, Every that he will take away their understanding so that no one would have any understanding. He would also take away their lives. Every one, every man would be destroyed by slaughter. So there would be none left. God said, you know, when, when a thief comes, he only steals as much as he needs. Or when the grape gatherers come, they only gather what they need and they leave gleanings. Okay, That's sort of natural. But God says, in my judgment, I will leave nothing. I will leave nothing. It will be far worse than that. In my judgment, God's showing himself worthy to be the judge. Okay, So that, that's what we saw last week, and that theme kind of continues this week in God pronouncing his judgment upon Edom. But in that, we see something else emerging. What, what we also see emerging is this idea of the kingdom of God, God's unshakable kingdom. In fact, that's the, that's the overall theme for this series in the book of Obadiah, where we will see that really Obadiah, yes, it's about judgment upon Edom, but it's also about the unshakable kingdom of God, that God indeed is king of his kingdom, and nothing, not even Edom, not even pride, nothing can shake God's kingdom. God's kingdom will be established, it is established, and he will be king, he will be its great king, and he will rule his kingdom, and no one and nothing will shake or disrupt or interrupt God's kingdom. We also begin to see that emerge 
last week a little bit, and even more this week, and then and then next week we'll see that even more fully established. But so so keep that in mind as we as we continue to study through the book of Obadiah. That this is yes, it's about pride, and yes, it's about judging others, but it's also about God's great kingdom, and God is our great King. So the text today, we see that God begins to very pointedly expose the prideful sin of Edom against her neighbor Judah. In verse 10, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. So continuing that pronouncement of judgment by God. And then God says, on the day, on that day you stood aloof. On the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jer- Jerusalem. You were like one of them. So God says, okay, first of all, you started off by doing nothing. You stood aloof. When your brother was being attacked, you stood by and watched. You did not, you did not come to their aid. You did not lift up a weapon and join in their defense. You, you didn't even loudly complain about their situation. You just stood and watched. And you secretly rejoiced. And then eventually, eventually, you became like one of them. So when strangers carried off the wealth of of Jerusalem and foreigners entered the gates and they cast lots for Jerusalem, God's holy city, they cast lots for it like it was a common commodity. Edom, you became like them, meaning you did the very same thing. You started off by standing aloof and just simply did nothing, but then eventually the something you did was to become like those who had entered its gates and carried off its wealth and treated it as a common commodity. And then God gives eight, he points out eight instances in which Edom did what it ought not to have done. And they come out as these do not statements. In verse 12, do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Obviously, as Jerusalem was being attacked, as Judah was being conquered, Edom gloated over that. They gloated. They, they boasted that Jerusalem was getting what they thought they deserved and Edom was safe. When we gloat, then there is this sense of superiority. That's simply what gloating is. When we gloat, we're saying we are superior to you. And that's exactly what Edom was doing. And in so doing, they were joining in this judgment upon Judah. Because the gloat was, you're getting what you deserve. Ha ha, and we're getting nothing. Because we're better. Because we are far superior to you. Now, is it true? Is it true that God was using an evil king, Nebuchadnezzar, to bring his judgment upon Judah? Was that true? Yes! It was absolutely true. What happened to Judah and Jerusalem was indeed God's judgment upon their unfaithfulness. And 
I hope you're seeing this. Yes, Judah and Jerusalem were guilty of unfaithfulness, and they were experiencing God's judgment, and God's judgment was being poured out by God using an evil king and an evil nation to mete out that justice, that judgment. But yet God says to Edom, you don't get to participate in that. You don't get to gloat over that because you're not superior. But yet that was Edom's response to this just judgment that was coming down upon their brother, Judah. And then it says, do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Again, don't gloat. Don't rejoice. Don't boast because they're being judged and you're not. Because... You don't have the right to gloat, rejoice, or boast over that. And then, do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his distress. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Again, not only... So he, here Edom takes a step further. First, it's, hey, they're standing back and doing nothing. And then they're beginning to heap insults and gloat and boast and rejoice. So they have this internal attitude of superiority. And, this, and the words of their mouth and the thoughts of their heart is, we're better than them. They're getting what they deserve. They deserve ha ha. 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 And now they've taken that a step further. Now they're entering the gates of the city. They're, they are looting the wealth of the city. And then verse 14, do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. So again, okay, again, now they've taken another step. First, they stood aloof and did nothing and just watched. And then in their heart, and in their pride, they gloated and boasted and rejoiced. And then they went the next step and they began to take the city's possessions, its things, its treasures. They robbed and looted the city for themselves. And then finally, the, the straw, the last straw, they actually take its people and sell them into slavery in Babylon hand over they capture the fugitives those who are doing nothing but fleeing they capture them and instead of taking them in and caring for them they sold them into slavery that was the, their final act of judgment against Judah and the people of Jerusalem Verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually, and they shall drink and swallow. And in case you wonder, when, when God pronounces this judgment about, first of all, you know, the day of the Lord is coming, and and it's coming upon all the nations. And, and as you have done, it shall be done to you. You shall drink on my holy mountain. You shall drink and swallow. He's saying you will drink the cup of the wrath of God. 
In fact, often God's wrath, God's punishment, God's judgment is, is a cup that's being poured out. And so what God says of all the nations, your day is coming, and as you have done, it shall be done to you. So Edom, just as, just as you have done to Judah, all of that will be done to you. You shall drink every drop of the cup of my wrath. And you will swallow it all. There will be none of it left. In other words, you will get all of my wrath upon you. That is God's promise and God's pronouncement to Edom. I want to suggest four lessons from this passage of Scripture that we can learn about judging others. Because that's really what God was accusing Edom of. In their pride, they also became judges of Judah and Jerusalem. They began to pour out and mete out their own judgment. They joined in the judgment that God was bringing, thinking audaciously that they had the right to do so. There are four lessons we can learn about that. The first is this. Do not fail to do good. Do not fail to do good. What what was the first condemnation that God brought, the first accusation that God brought against Edom? It says, you, you stood aloof. You did nothing. You did nothing on the day of their distress. When the conquerors came, you stood by and watched Why was that an accusation against Edom? Why was that a condemnation against them? Because as brother and neighbor, they should have come to their aid. They should have done the good they knew to do. This is not a foreign concept in the New Testament. What does it say in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 17? He who knows to do right and does not do it to him, it is sin. Even... When some are under the discipline and judgment of God, we are still called to do good. In fact, when we know to do good and don't do it, it is sin. And why is it sin? Because we are judging them. Now, let's just pause here for a minute. So we have a, this is going to be like a parenthetical statement here. So I'm going to talk about what judgment is, what judging others is. Because we can be confused about that. Okay, I want you to know that gently and lovingly pointing out another's sin is not judgment. That is not judging another. So in my life transformation group, if, if I am in sin and it's a blind spot for me and I'm not addressing it, then the guys in my life transformation group have every right In fact, they have the responsibility to lovingly point out my sin, to speak the truth to me about my sin in love. Now, without vindictiveness and without rancor and without anger, because if those things are a part of it, then it becomes more than simply accountability. It it begins to become judgment. But pointing out a brother or sister's sin Pointing out one's sin lovingly and gently is right, and that is not judging. But here's what judging is. Deciding what, they, what punishment 
they deserve or withholding something good, withholding our love, withholding our service, withholding our good deeds. Yeah, that's judgment because we're saying they're not worthy of my good deed. They're not worthy of my service. They're not worthy of my love. They're not worthy of my care. No, see, that is where we cross the line into judging when we withhold the good, when we fail to do the good that we know we should do. Then we, we cross the line into judging others. So, we, mu- we, we must not fail to do good. Edom failed to do good, and God condemned, accused them, and condemned them for it. But not only must we not fail to do good, and I, and I know that that language might, like, why didn't I just say do good? Well, here's why. I feel like, Phrasing that in the negative, do not fail to do good, tells us that doing good is a requirement. It's a responsibility. If I just say do good, that sounds like it's an option, right? Hey, do good, okay? And, well, hey, if I don't do – okay, if I do nothing, that's better than doing harm, right? No, it's not. That's the point. Doing nothing is not better than doing harm. In fact, as we see in God's eyes, it's the same thing. Doing nothing when we, sh- when we know to do good is still doing harm. And so if I just say do good, it sounds like you have an option. But we don't have an option. We are called to be kind and compassionate. We are called to love. How, how did Jesus phrase it? Love your enemies? And pray for those that persecute you. That's how Jesus phrased this. Do not fail to do good. Because it is a requirement. It is a responsibility for us who are followers of Christ. But not only should we not fail to do good. We also should not gloat. So do not gloat. That's lesson number two about judging others. Do not gloat. When in our heart... We rejoice over the misfortune of another. Man, I, and I, and I, here is this, is, this is one that is so hard for me. Because there are people in my life who I f- have felt like are getting away with sin. They're getting away with rebellion. They're, 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 they're getting away with being just irresponsible and whatever. There are people in my life who I feel are getting away with it. And I want them to get what they deserve. And when they do, secretly, I rejoice. Secretly, I'm like, yeah, finally, I get what they deserve. And that is wrong, and it is sin. And it is me putting myself in the place of judge. So I, I, I publicly confess that today. This is an area in my own life that, must, that I must repent, show repentance towards God. And allow Him to correct that in me. 
because I tend to gloat when others get what I think they deserve. Do not gloat when others are experiencing the judgment and justice or discipline, simply the discipline of God. We must not gloat because when we gloat, we are by attitude, by thought and by attitude, we are stepping into the place of judge. We begin to judge others when we gloat over what they receive. Edom gloated. In fact, twice God told them, do not gloat. Those do not, those eight do not. Well, one of them gets repeated about gloating. Do not gloat. So this gloating's kind of a big deal. Not kind of it is a big deal. God opposes those who gloat over others who are receiving judgment and discipline. Don't do it. But then also, do not abuse. Do not abuse. And, and, and that's really what Edom was doing in stages. The first stage was to join in the robbing of the city. They entered the city's gates. They carried off its wealth. And that was the beginning of their abuse. Their, their very active participation. Up to this point, you could say their participation was passive. They were, they were claiming for themselves in their heart and in their mind the right to judge. But when they began to abuse both the city and its inhabitants, Judah and its inhabitants, then they became active participants in judging Judah and Jerusalem. They stole its wealth and carried it off. And they captured its people and sold them into slavery. We cannot join in the in, in abusing others who are receiving God's discipline. Man, I, 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 it's hard for me to tell this story. But I actually knew of a church that there was a you know gas station convenience store just around just right, like right across the street from the church and there were signs all over the church re- re- requesting that its members boycott that convenience store across the street and I wondered okay I wonder if they've got that did they have a lot of pornography in there what's going on and here was the the reason because the owners were Muslims The owners were Muslims. Therefore, they're not worthy of our patronage. They're they're not worthy of a livelihood. Take that away. Now, please hear me. Okay, please hear me. Islam and Christianity are mutually exclusive. And Christianity is the truth. And Islam is a deception. Okay? Okay? I want to make that clear. I'm not, I'm not defending Islam as a way to the truth. What I'm saying is that was judgment. That was 
abuse, taking away the livelihood of a people because and, – and, and let's, let's be honest. Let's put this in perspective. All of those, all of those who are rejecting Christ are currently under God's judgment. They might not be experiencing it yet, but they are under it. They, they, they are under God's judgment. And so that that'd be people who are holding to other religions or no religion or whatever. Those who are rejecting Christ and looking to something else or someone else. They are under God's judgment. We cannot heap abuse on them. We become judges when we do so. And then finally, the fourth lesson from this passage of Scripture is do not presume upon grace. Do not presume upon grace. And, and here's what I mean. When we assume the role of judge, then we're presuming upon God's grace. Because here, and we talked about this last week, here's what God says. I am God and there is no other. I will not share my glory with another or my praise with graven images. I am the Lord and that is my name. I will not share my glory with another or my praise with graven images. Twice in the book of Isaiah, God proclaims that he will not share his glory with another. And God alone is worthy to be judged. God alone is worthy to be judged, not least of all, because he is the king of his kingdom, and we are subjects of his kingdom, and he's the king. Therefore, he alone has the right to judge, but also he is the creator of everything. He's the ruler of everything. He is the only one who is almighty and all wise. Therefore, he alone has the right to judge. And therefore, when God judges, he receives glory. What happens when we judge? We try to wrestle God's glory away from him in our desire and love of being the judge of others. So we presume upon God's grace. Here's When we judge others, we say... God, this belongs to you, but I'm going to do it anyway because you're not going to punish me for it. And we presume upon God's grace. And do you know what presuming upon God's grace really is? It's putting God to the test. What did Jesus say when he was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan about putting God to the test? Expect an answer. Don't do it. Yeah. He says, you shall not, you shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. In fact, as I read the scripture, there's only one area where we can put God to the test, and that is in our faithfulness and giving to test his faithfulness and blessing. That's, God says, test me in this. It's the only thing in which We put God to the test. But when we presume upon God's grace, we're putting him to the test. Do not put God to the test by presuming upon his grace. And let's just kind of dwell on that word grace for a moment. Because any time 
we have a message about judgment, it's also really a message about grace. Because here is the reality. We are all worthy of God's ultimate judgment. We all are. Here's how I know that. Here's how you can know that. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. So right there, we're all sinners and we all deserve God's judgment for our sin. That's clear. But the scripture also tells us that God in his divine forbearance has overlooked previous sin. He has been patient with us. He has shown us mercy. And he has given us grace in Christ. So that now, now there is this righteousness that is available to us. That is apart from the law. And it is found in Christ who became our substitute who went to the cross and suffered and died for our sin and misdeeds and rebellion against God, and by faith, the response of repentance and faith in Him, we can have that eternal life. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A message of judgment is also a message of grace, because God has shown us mercy and grace He's shown us mercy in that we have not immediately received the judgment that we deserve. He's shown us grace in Christ by sending His one and only Son to live the life that you and I should have lived. And then to die the death that you and I should have died. And to be risen from the dead on the third day to demonstrate the life that we can and do have in Him through repentance and faith. That's this message of grace that should always accompany this message of judgment. And now, here's something else that I think is that is so powerful when it comes to judging others and not judging others. We understand that God alone, our great king, the great king of his kingdom, he alone is worthy and has the right to judge. And we have no right to join in his judgment, to join in, to piggyback, to heap our judgment upon his, like Edom tried to do. We have no right to do that. In fact, we are warned not to do that. We are commanded not to do that. But God, who is rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love, who has lavished us with grace, invites us to show mercy and grace to others. Judgment is not ours to wield, but mercy and grace is. How incredible is that? We don't join in God's judgment, but we do join in His bestowal of mercy and His display of grace. How incredible is that? In fact, I'm going to suggest that that is the way in which we avoid judging others. Show mercy and grace. Bestow mercy. Display grace. Is there any greater way 
for us to combat this human nature to judge others? I mean, can you judge somebody when you're being merciful and gracious to them? Certainly, if we're guilty of judging others, we must repent. But I'm going to suggest that the way we repent is to show mercy and display grace. That's the way. That's the key. That's the thing. Because God alone has the right to judge. Therefore, don't judge. But God invites us to join him in showing mercy and displaying grace. Therefore, show mercy, display grace. Would you bow your heads with me and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, you are our great king. God, I pray that we would recognize that. God, I pray that we would live in relation to you as our great king. And God, we understand that you alone as our great king, you alone are the only one that can judge. God, keep us from judging others. But God, do, do empower and lay upon our hearts and encourage us to show mercy and display grace as subjects of your kingdom and subjects to you as our great king. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.